Everybody, it's time to believe in the Big 12. If you're a Big 12 baller, this podcast is the place for you. Every week, we dive into the hot topics surrounding Big 12 football and even some basketball. Guest stars, former players, industry experts, conference shakeups, hoops hypotheticals, football fantasies, you name it, we have it. In the process, we'll look at marquee matchups, roster comparisons, coaching carousels, and analysis of big-time moments. You will literally feel like you are etched into the fabric of the Big 12. From the creation of basketball to history repeating itself on the gridiron, our take on all things Big 12 will have you glued to the edge of your seat. So whether you've got a favorite Big 12 team or are just a fan of the conference, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. Welcome to the Believe in the Big 12 podcast, a proud member of the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number five of the Believe in the Big 12 podcast. And on behalf of the entire Believe Podcast Network, before we kick off, I have to ask... Do you believe? And more importantly, for our purposes, do you believe in the Big 12? Because the Big 12 is producing some pretty damn good football games right now, with a few exceptions. I mean, seriously entertaining stuff. Now, for those who weren't here last week, shame on you. Shame. To let bygones be bygones. Shame. We did our second ever set of power rankings. And again, It was awesome. But these weren't just any power rankings. We have a very special name for our power rankings here in the Believe in the Big 12 podcast. We call them the Ultra Super Massive Big 12 Power Rankings. Why, you may ask? Because even though they won't officially be joining the Big 12 until 2023, We are going to include Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF in the rankings. It's only right to see how they stack up and then we start pretending like this is the new reality. Because it is. And even though they're on their way out, we're going to include Texas and Oklahoma too until they're officially gone. So, once again, welcome to the ultra super massive Big 12 Power Rankings. Here we go. For context, last week we had a seismic leap in the rankings by the dark horse I identified a few episodes ago. But now, the reality about that dark horse has been brought to the light. They're making a seismic leap in the other direction. It's no longer a dark horse in the sense of being a sneaky good team. Now they're a dark horse, as in, they're in a pretty dark place. And who is that headless, galloping horse? I'm getting excited for Halloween. Okay, alright, it's fine. Just let me have this. That headless horse is, you guessed it, Baylor. The Bears just got beheaded in Stillwater by Oklahoma State. Making me look like a headless horse myself. Except I could have made worse predictions. I stand by my decision to put Baylor at the top last week. They were playing the grittiest, most electric football in the conference until this week. 
but they sure aren't staying at the top now. The question is, how far will they fall, and who will take their place? So, against that backdrop, who do we have at number one? We have not the Bears, who lost the top spot, but the Bear Cats of Cincinnati. Some sort of odd fusion between a bear and a cat. I, I don't know. I've never seen one in the wild. I don't know. Do those exist? I, I have zero idea, but I kind of want to find out. Ranked number seven in the country, Cincinnati scored one of the most impactful wins of the 2021 season on Saturday, marching themselves right into South Bend to upend Notre Dame 24-13. to And given the caliber of the opponent, the national limelight, and the importance of the game for Cincinnati's college football playoff hopes, this was a statement game. Cincinnati is now poised to make one of the best ever arguments for a group of five team to earn a college football playoff spot. Now, why is that so important? Because a group of five team has never, ever made the college football playoff. This would legitimize the group of five as someone to be taken seriously. And to clarify, for those who don't know, the group of five refers to schools from the American, like Cincinnati, Conference USA, Mid-America, Mountain West, and Sun Belt Conferences. And independence, like soon no longer to be BYU, and Army, and UMass, teams like that. So for Cincinnati, though, this was about more than just looking good for the college football playoff selection committee. This was for pride. This was about beating a historic program on their own turf, a program in Notre Dame that they had only played once way back in 1900. The Bearcats established their edge early with a defense that forced turnovers and limited what Notre Dame could do. A lot. In the first half alone, Cincinnati intercepted starting Notre Dame quarterback Jack Cohn and backup Tyler Buchner, forced a fumble on a kickoff return, and didn't allow the Irish to get inside the 40-yard line following the first possession of the game. Notre Dame's 17-0 halftime deficit came as no surprise. And even with that deficit, Two late touchdown drives weren't enough to shake the confidence of the Cincinnati offense that had moved the ball well since the start of the second quarter. Bearcats QB Desmond Ritter finished with 297 yards on 19 of 32 passing with two touchdowns and 26 rushing yards to boot, plus a score on the ground. The final margin could have been even more lopsided if not for two missed field goals from inside the 40-yard line. In summary, the Bearcats earned the number one spot in our power rankings. They delivered under pressure and showed that group of five teams can play with the best of them in the most historic of settings. Cincinnati sitting at the top. Coming in at number two, we have the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And let's start with three words. Baylor is toast. That's what the Cowboys up at Oklahoma State were saying in their minds all night long in their much-anticipated matchup against Baylor. The Bears were just outmatched in every facet of the game, 
It didn't look deserving of the number one spot in our power rankings at all. It's crazy that they were there a week ago. But this isn't about the Bears. This is about the Cowboys that tamed them. I mean, isn't that romantic? Picture it. It's the Wild West. Some famous gunslingers by the river trying to catch some salmon. In comes a grizzly invading its territory. What does the cowboy do? He doesn't run. He stands tall and beats his chest and gets ready to draw. And I don't mean draw like Bob Ross. I mean draw his best weapon. Although for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, Dak Prescott, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, the professional version of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, did did just that. He yelled Bob Ross as a play count, only to run a draw play. Hilarious play on words there. But seriously, a cowboy draws his weapon and sets his sights on that bear. In this case, the Oklahoma State Cowboys drew two mighty weapons, Tay Martin and Jalen Warren. And thank God for that, because QB Spencer Sanders did not have his best day. It's like, well, Tay Martin and Jalen Warren were out there shooting for the charging bear who wants its salmon and shooting right for the jugular. Spencer Sanders was shooting from the hip and, and hitting all the trees in the surrounding area. He, he wasn't, wasn't even close to anything, so they really saved the day there. Tay Martin and Jalen Warren accounted for 235 yards and two touchdowns. And to be fair, Sanders did add 76 rushing yards, so he was able to outrun that bear they were trying to tame, despite his horrific accuracy. And the defense on this team? Downright scary. If it weren't for the turnovers, this game would have been a blowout. But it didn't matter, because Oklahoma State was in control the whole way through. They didn't even trail once, Outside of one long touchdown run, the Cowboys allowed nothing. Oklahoma State is now 5-0 and a real threat in the Big 12. They sit at number two. Number three, we have the other Oklahoma team. Oklahoma, the Sooners. And if I'm being real, this ranking couldn't have come sooner. (laughs) See what I did there? This ranking is exactly where it needs to be. The Sooners are starting to grow on me. I've been confused by their offensive woes and Spencer Rattler getting rattled all the time. But this team has the resilience, fortitude, and a knack for making the right play at the right time. As if, even though the game is tight, they know they're going to win. They do more than just enough. And that's what makes them a confusing team. It's hard to tell if they're truly a contender who thrives at winning in pressure situations or if they're just getting the right breaks. The good news is that offense I've been berating and rattling might be fixed, or at least it looked like it in Manhattan on Saturday afternoon. The Sooners scored on seven of their eight drives, four touchdowns and three field goals. Spencer Rattler finished the game, completing 22 of 25 passes, Kennedy Brooks averaged over six yards per carry. And the defense, the special teams, those were different stories, I must say. The Sooners were still somehow outgained in the game, 420 to 392, even after taking a 34 to 17 lead. 
the Wildcats scored two touchdowns late to make it a tight one, including a 93-yard kickoff return to cut it to three points, forcing the Sooners to have to recover an onside kick just to win the game. It never should have been that close. Kansas State shouldn't even have been within striking distance. That's why I'm saying I can't tell if they're a contender, they being Oklahoma. Strange stat lines and weird finishes to games that should have already been over. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. The picture on this team will only get clearer, but for now, they're good enough to earn the number three spot in our power rankings. Number four, we have Texas. And Texas head coach Steve Sarkeesian must be proud of his boys because they know how to win and win ugly. The only issue is that Texas could only get nine points out of three turnovers they forced TCU to cough up. That's the same number of lives a cat has, in case you didn't know. Get it together, Texas. A cat could score more points. They were up 12 points in the fourth quarter and couldn't get the ball in from the one-yard line, and that made things interesting for a good bit longer than it should have been. There was very little pretty about this game for Texas, except the man known as Bijan Robinson. Coach Sarkeesian found the one man who was ready to play on Saturday and rode him like few coaches still do. He was a bellwether workhorse running back in a, in a way like he was paying homage to the running backs of the past who would have 40 carries a game and be expected to carry the team. That was impressive. Bijan Robinson was a bellwether back. He carried 35 times for 216 yards with two touchdowns and also caught a pair of passes. He broke tackles all day long and got huge first downs late to seal the game when it looked like he was stuffed at the line of scrimmage. He bounced outside, he cut inside, he juked sideways, he spun upways, he straight up rocked the boat. Quite frankly, he reminded me of the Jamal Charles days at Texas. Just speedy, strong, and agile. He was their saving grace, which mattered a lot, because quarterback Casey Thompson did not have his best day by any means. And let me just say this, Bijan Robinson... He needs to be in the Heisman conversation. So to sum things up, Texas struggled to capitalize on turnovers, but luckily they did more than enough on offense to win the game. Is this team for real? Right now, I would say they belong in the conference title conversation. I would, and that's why they're here at number four. Number five, and oh boy, do I like this placement. BYU. Ah. The battle for the old wagon wheel. BYU versus Utah State. And the wagon wheel goes to BYU once again. Rock me mama like a wagon wheel. Rock me mama like a southbound train. Old Crow Medicine Show would be proud. BYU won 34-20. And every time Utah State threatened their lead, BYU responded with a monster critical run by Tyler Algier who had over 200 yards and three touchdowns. That was his first game over 200 yards in his BYU career, and it looks like it won't be his last. That dude can run. BYU's defense was also terrific, getting crucial stops when it needed to. 
Quarterback Baylor Romney was knocked out of the game with an injury, but even when Jacob Conover came in and looked sort of rattled in relief for Romney, the defense rose to the occasion and got a pair of stops. It was an all-around strong effort for BYU and a game they had surely in hand the entire time. It's time we get them into the top five and show them more respect. Jumping up three spots. Nice. Number six, Baylor falling five spots. Wow. Why? Because Baylor's offense was horrid. There isn't much more to be said. It was not the team I saw a week ago against Iowa State. Gary Bohannon never looked comfortable, and they went 3 of 15 on third downs. Also, they were gifted three turnovers and failed to do anything with them. While the defense got the turnovers, I thought they didn't have their best night either, giving up over 200 yards on the ground. Perhaps the biggest issue was the penalties. Baylor had nine penalties against Iowa State last weekend, and they had nine once again on Saturday. In the first half, the Bears had the ball on six separate occasions. They ran 21 plays for 89 yards and punted six times. In the second half, things started out much of the same before they finally handed the ball to running back Abram Smith. On one drive, he burst free for a 55-yard touchdown run. That was the lone bright spot. On the next drive, he ran three times for 25 more yards. That's nearly as many yards and four carries as the Bears had as a team in the entire first half. For some reason, Abram Smith only had 10 carries, despite that production. That's been his story all year long, oddly enough. He's averaging 7.2 yards per carry, which is phenomenal, but only about 13 carries per contest. So there's a discrepancy there. Might need to lean on him more to turn that offense around. Then we have number seven, Texas Tech. The Red Raiders. They did what they had to do in Morgantown against West Virginia. They got back to the basics, which is exactly what this team needed. They took everything that West Virginia gave them, running a lot of underneath routes to take advantage of the cushion the Mountaineers were giving them and their receivers. They were up 17-0 before they knew it, going into the half. And it would have been 24-0 if they hadn't botched a trick play. That said, Things fell apart in the third quarter, and they ended up needing a field goal to win it in the final seconds. So that was a little concerning. And with that said, Henry Columbian crew marched down the field with ease to get that field goal, so that's a little bit of a nice consolation there. But Texas Tech played aggressively on the defensive and offensive side, and it paid off. Number eight, we have West Virginia. And where do I even start? This was some Jekyll and Hyde action. West Virginia played one of the worst halves of football I've seen from a non-Kansas team in this conference. I mean, they were completely bereft of life. Zero energy, half of a heart, no motor. The Mountaineers came out playing way back on defense with way too much breathing room for Texas Tech and their receivers. They lacked ingenuity on offense, and they were down 17-0 at halftime with fans openly booing the staff and players. In the third quarter, the entire game plan changed, though. In fact, 
the entire mood changed. They got up on receivers and played tight defense while taking shots vertically on offense. Just like that, the game was tied, and West Virginia had all the momentum. But a few missed throws just barely did them in. They were this close. But I have to applaud the effort and ability to flip the switch and play with power and poise. These are things to be positive about. For example, as 247 Sports put it so eloquently, one might see the season so far for West Virginia as, hey, West Virginia has three losses by a combined 12 points to three teams with a combined 13-2 record. So they're playing tough competition well. Yeah, that's cute. You could also look at it as, if Virginia Tech doesn't try to get cute at the two-yard line, West Virginia is 1-4 with their lone win coming over Long Island University, Jekyll and Hyde. Number 9. Kansas State Anyone who plays Oklahoma wire-to-wire has to be in the top 10 of the ultra-super-massive Big 12 power rankings. The Wildcats stuck to their guns and kept it interesting, even after falling behind 34-17. Their special teams looked good, too. That said, while it was great to get quarterback Skylar Thompson back, he is going to need some help from his defense. Kansas State did a nice job early on to limit the possessions in this game, but when your defense gives up a score on basically every drive, then it puts a ton of pressure on the offense. Thompson threw for over 300 yards and three scores, so he made up for it, but the run game was really a non-factor for this offense. So that counteracts that right there. I mean, it's, it's the same principle. And also, Deuce Vaughn is not only the best running back, but he's also the best receiver on this team. That is usually not a recipe for success. But ultimately, it comes down to this. I like that Skylar Thompson is back, but I don't like the way this defense is trending. Number 10, Iowa State. Iowa State beat Kansas, you know, by a little bit. 59-7. to Normally, I'd read into a, a blowout victory like that more, but you have to keep in mind that this was Kansas, not exactly the toughest competition. The lead exploded to 35 points in the blink of an eye. They literally morphed into a twister and spun Kansas into a whirlwind of dust. This is why they're called the Cyclones. But if I'm being honest, I didn't really learn much about Iowa State in this game. You can't really say it was that impressive. There were no major epiphanies here. It was, you know, respectable that they built a 28-0 lead in the first quarter. You know, that's not easy to do against anybody. Brock Purdy had four touchdowns. And even backup quarterback Hunter Deckers scrambled for 41 yards to pay dirt. Brees Hall also did his thing again, rushing for 123 yards and two scores. But the thing that stood out to me most is that Iowa State went full speed ahead from start to finish and didn't look back. Again, you can't learn too much in the dust-up of Kansas, but that mentality was good to see from Iowa State. The special teams unit had a solid week too after some difficulties last week, so nice to see them correct some of that. Number 11, Houston. I have to put Houston here. Even though they're towards the bottom of this list, They're at the top of the bottom. 
A convincing 45-10 victory over Tulsa was a work of art. The Alton, McCaskill, and Clayton Toon combo was indefensible this week. Clayton Toon showed out to the tune of 241 yards through the air and two touchdowns. McCaskill went in for the kill, scoring three touchdowns, all in the first half. He looked aggressive heading for that goal line. His signature move should be called the McCaskill, because when he wants to deliver a finishing blow, he really can go in for the kill. He didn't have a crazy amount of yards with just 77, but the way he could knife and power his way in from the one-yard line was impressive. He also had an impressive burst up the middle for 27 yards. Realistically, Houston could be even higher on this list. They're 4-1. That's not to be overlooked in college football, no matter who you play. But their only win that has much substance to it at this point is an 8-point victory over Navy. All others have been blowouts against struggling programs. And the one Big 12 opponent they faced, they lost by 17 to Texas Tech. So we'll keep them at 11 for now. But an October 30th showdown against SMU at the end of the month will show us a lot. Number 12, TCU. Gotta put them here after a valiant effort against Texas. They very well could be, and maybe should be, above Houston here. But their slim margin of victory in their two wins convinced me otherwise. Their defense got absolutely carved up by Texas, mostly by running back Bijan Robinson. As mentioned earlier, he had 216 yards. And what sums this game up more than anything is the fact that he ran six consecutive times to open the final game-clinching drive for Texas, including a great third down run after TCU used its last timeout. TCU couldn't stop him. TCU also had three turnovers, matching its total for its first three games. That's not a way to win. But I will say, I was proud of TCU for their medal. They stopped Texas on fourth down at the goal line near the end of the game and turned that around into a 99-yard drive and a touchdown to bring them within striking distance. Unfortunately, they never got the ball back. Their weak tackling is the biggest concern here. So, they stay at number 12. And while that number may be associated with greatness in the form of Tom Brady, it is not associated with greatness here. Number 13, UCF. They played Navy wire to wire, almost. I was impressed with their effort on the field. A true Saturday showdown. What I don't like is that Navy, while they do play tough when they want to, is 1-3 and three on the season now with that one win coming here against UCF. Not ideal. UCF blew a solid fourth quarter lead, allowing Navy to score 17 consecutive points in the fourth quarter to steal the victory. Navy's coach said he was proud of their resilience, and I am too. But UCF needs to be able to close out losses like that if they want to be higher on this list. End of story. Number 14. Last place. The Kansas Jayhawks, they stay put. With their lone win coming against South Dakota and all of their losses coming as blowouts, the state of this program is in disarray right now. They gave up 28 points in the first quarter and were down 38-0 at halftime. Instead of trying to make a comeback, they chose to run the ball 44 times. 
basically running out the clock for the duration of the game. It looked like they were waving a white flag of surrender, and the white flag got ripped to shreds by a gigantic cyclone in the form of Iowa State. It was not pretty. The Jayhawks faced a lot of Iowa State's backups and still only managed to score seven points. Nothing much more to be said here, as the Jayhawks round out our ultra-super-massive Big 12 power rankings. To sum up, we had some major movement this week. Cincinnati took the top spot, Baylor fell five spots to number six, Oklahoma State looks like the better of the Oklahoma teams right now, although not by much, and Texas is gritty, BYU is not to be overlooked as they crack the top five, and the back half of the rankings have enough of an edge to them that they can play spoiler and shake things up in the front half of our rankings. Texas has a chance to leapfrog Oklahoma in their big showdown this coming week, only for Oklahoma State to play them next. So this is going to be a fun few weeks. Buckle up and enjoy, because in closing, the Big 12 is wide open, and it's awesome. So thanks for tuning in to episode number five of the Believe in the Big 12 podcast. And have a great rest of the week. Enjoy college football on Saturday. Make sure you believe in the Big 12 and share this episode with your friends. Because we have plenty of hot takes here on the Believe in the Big 12 podcast. And we want everyone to be a part of it. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.